0: Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 10. It is fun to think about that at one point the church was about this big. <laughs> um, it's just awesome. And, and it's, how he, it's how he started it. It's how he did it. He started gathering his people to himself. But then what did he do? All right, so let's have somebody read verse 1 through 4. So just the calling of the 12 apostles. And then let's have somebody read verses 5 through Uh, 15, okay, and when you're reading, go ahead and unmask and nice and loud. All right, Cheddar, take it away. word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So much in here that we could uh, dive into, um, but for our purposes today, we'll just note a few things. Uh, First, before we even read, take a look at the end of chapter 9. Harvest is plentiful. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the fields. And then Jesus is doing that. And, uh, The other synoptic gospels say that he went up and spent the whole night in prayer on the mountain before he came down and called the 12 to himself, which is interesting to think about Jesus discerning. Obviously, there there was a gathering of people that were following him. Um, He he knew them well enough that he went up to the mountain and he said, okay, Father, who are my 12? Who are the ones that they're going to name churches after for the next 2,000 years? And it is fascinating that Jesus, yes, being God and never, never letting go of his divinity, Philippians 2 tells us that he did put the advantages of divinity um, aside for a time. So that everything that he did, his power, his discernment, his prayer, the choosing of the 12, um, it, it, was, it came to him in the same way that it comes to you and me. He had to make decisions in the same way you and I make decisions. He had to listen to his father and discern his father's will. He didn't just automatically know it. He had to do exactly what we had to do. We have to do. It's remarkable. Um, So he calls the 12 to him. Go nowhere among the Gentiles or the Samaritans. We all know that in the long term, Jesus' plan is for the nations, right? Why does he send them to the lost sheep of Israel? Well, because of his covenant. Because in his mind, it would be unthinkable. It would be like if my whole neighborhood was starving and then a big truck of food came, what would I do? I would first take bread and give it to Caroline, Teresa, Simon, and Toby. That would be the natural and the the thing you would do. And eventually it would say, okay, now go take this to the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. They need to eat too. But it would be unthinkable for me as a father to overlook my own children and go to the others in the neighborhood. So that's all that's happening here is Jesus is saying... Don't go to the Samaritans yet. Don't go to the Gentiles yet because of my covenant. How could I not be faithful to my own people first? I have to. It's who I am. So he sends them to the lost sheep of Israel first. Um, One note just for our context. uh, I was reading a little bit in uh, Rick Richardson's book, You Found Me. This is a book that Stuart's been reading. It's about mission. Um, I have it at my office if you want to flip through it or look at it. But one of the things that he's trying to say in this book is he's, he's trying to reframe for us as Christians the mission field. And, and he's saying there's this idea out there that people don't want to talk about religion, that people are uh, they're, they're angry, they're hostile, and that that's most people. And he's trying to flip that on its head. And he's say, actually, most people are somewhat open, they have an openness. Um, and that it's, it's, you know, a fewer percent, but I would, this is now my kind of adding to his, his statistics, and he's a researcher, so he's, he's got statistics to back this up. But my thought would be, well, it's probably the, the academic elite, the public opinion influencers, the culture makers you know, folks who, who have a lot of voice and power who are the, the hostile and antithetical. And so it feels like it's more than it actually is. But his point is, most people, if you want to talk about God or if you want to talk about Jesus, they, they have a, a nascent desire and openness. And I, I do think, not that I, you know, do this more as much as I wish, but when I do have these conversations, I find that to be true people are open, uh, that they're actually hungry for God. They're thirsty for God. And it it, it is interesting that most people in our country still have some kind of Christian background. And that rather than, again, the stereotype is, well, that means that they have a negative view of, of Christianity because they're no longer in the church. And there's usually some element of that. Um, But you also talk to people and you find out that uh, by being in the church, they they have some concept of of connecting with God or who God is. And that's the part that for us, you know, we're we're hoping to reawaken that. And in that regard, we're a little bit like the apostles, who Israel, they they were not pagans. They, They had an idea of who God was. But they were asleep, and they needed to be awakened. Or I think, too, of Francis and the revival that he sparked in Christendom. You know, Europe had been, already at that point, Europe had been Christian for centuries. Uh, But the fire had grown cold. And so the work of Francis and his brothers, and then of Claire and the sisters, was, was actually not so much evangelizing the pagans as reawakening the faith. And in some ways, that is our task here in America. It's a reawakening of faith. Um, So in in that way, we're we're like the apostles here, situated um, in in a similar context. So Jesus tells them to go out and announce the kingdom, and then he gives them authority and power to do everything that he himself had been doing up to this point. Right? Look again at verse 8. Heal the sick. By this point, they had seen him do that many times. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. So healing of the sick, casting out demons, even raising the dead, he's giving them authority to do this. What I've been doing, now I want you to do. And this shows us that all along Jesus' intention was to send out the church to do the exact same mission that he himself was doing. And so you can think of Obi-Wan Kenobi when he's fighting Darth Vader. And what does he say? By killing me... Yeah, you only make me stronger. And for Jesus, he actually says something similar to the, to the disciples in the upper room in, in John's Gospel, right? He says, it's actually good for you that I go away. Because if I remain here, again, Jesus in his incarnated flesh is limited in the way that you and I are limited. He cannot be all places at once. He can only be where his body is. Now he can be where his body is, his body the church. So he's multiplied himself by filling us with his Holy Spirit sending us all around the world. So turn now to Luke 24. Uh, Can I have one of our women read verse 44 to, to the end? Nice and loud, and you can take your mask off to read. Okay. So we get a a brief, kind of the the boiled down to its basics mission that Jesus sends them on. Okay. He's saying here's the message that the Messiah would suffer on the third day rise from the dead, so his death and resurrection, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You, you are the witnesses both in the sense that you've seen this, you're the ones, you're speaking now to, to the disciples. You've seen this with your own eyes. So in that sense, you're witnesses. But then witness has a, a double meaning, right? You will then also bear witness. You're going to tell others what you've seen. And then it actually has a triple meaning, right? Because the same word for witness is the word for what? Martyr. You're going to bear witness with your very life. You're going to give your life as a testimony to say, this is so true, I will die to prove it to you. Um, But then he gives them the instructions, right, to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now flip over to Acts chapter 1. So there the Holy Spirit's called the the power from on high. Uh, Similarly, Let's have somebody read verse, sorry, we're first chapter, verses four to 11. So in the end of Luke, the Holy Spirit's called the power from on high. Here, Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father. And I I love that for a name for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Or one of our Eucharistic prayers, I think it's prayer D, calls the Holy Spirit your own first gift. (laughs) Um, And then then he says, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if you remember... Uh, Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus, or John himself says, one is coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and what? And fire. Um, So if you ever wondered, when did the disciples, because everybody needs to be baptized, right? Well, when were the disciples baptized? And you might say, oh, well, Jesus baptized them, um, you know, at the beginning of his ministry. But you're wrong. (laughs) He did baptize John qualifies, he says, Jesus didn't baptize, though. His disciples baptized. But even that baptism was similar to the baptism of John. It was was a preparatory baptism. It wasn't baptism with a capital B. Um, And so when were the disciples baptized? They were baptized on Pentecost. That was their baptism, when the Holy Spirit immersed them and the fire came over them. So, yeah, they didn't have anybody dunk them under the water in the name of the Trinity, But that's when they were baptized. And that's what gave them the power then to go and baptize others. Um, So the church has read the Ascension Pentecost paradigm. They've read that uh, through the lens of you guys remember the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? We've talked about this before. How at the end of Elijah's life, he and Elisha are walking together and Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven, and everybody knows it. Elisha knows it. They bump into this company of prophets who are all, you know, dancing around and playing flutes or whatever, I don't know, whatever they did, the prophets of the Old Testament. I would love to know more about the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, But they all say, do you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? And and Elisha basically says, yes, I know, shut up. I'm not happy about this. I'm angry. Um, He's sad. He also, though, wants the power and the authority of Elijah, his master. So he asks for a double portion. When you go, let a double portion of your spirit fall on me. And do you remember what Elijah says? It's a hard thing that you've asked. But if you see me when I go, it will be. And then they approach the Jordan River. Elijah takes off his cloak rolls it up, smacks the water, and the water rolls back, and they cross over on dry ground. And then on the other side, chariots of fire, they come down, Elijah is taken up, Elisha sees it, and then this is the cool part. As he's going up, the cloak falls down. Cloak is also called mantle. So if you want to know where the phrase, oh, the mantle has passed, oh, the mantle from Stuart is now on Steve. We're going to see that this Sunday. Mantle means a covering over, cloak. But in this, it it stands for the the authority. The mantle has passed to so-and-so. So Elijah's cloak falls. Elisha picks it up, and as he's walking back, he smacks the river. It does the same miracle. And he knows, okay, both because I saw Elijah departing And also now, because I have his cloak and I just did the exact same miracle that he did, I know that I have what I've asked for. And then he he bumps back into the, the, you know, dancing band of prophets, and what do they say? We see the spirit of your master on you. We see the spirit of your master on you. And so the church has always said, that is how we understand the ascension and Pentecost, that Jesus, as he is lifted up, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So they saw him go in the same way that Elisha saw Elijah go. But the cloak falling is the Holy Spirit falling 10 days later on Pentecost. So that the world would say, as the band of prophets said to Elisha, we see the spirit of your master on you. And that the same miracles, And indeed, you read the stories of Elisha, and he does a lot of the same. There's a raising of a dead boy, right? The multiplying of of the oil and the multiplying of of the oil. And there's just a lot of parallels between Elijah and Elisha. You see the same thing in the beginning of the book of Acts, that a lot of the early miracles are mirroring the early miracles of of Jesus, the blind or the the beggar, right? One of Jesus' first healings is the paralytic. Um, and so on and so forth. And so the whole point that Luke is trying to make in Acts is the things that Jesus was doing, the church is now meant to do. And I would be those who among those, and I think everybody in our our leadership here would say, and that did not stop with the apostolic era. That that same commission, that same authority continues in the church throughout all the ages. And so then our mission is to bring the power and the love of God, just like Jesus did. The power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons, and the love, announcing the kingdom, bringing the message of the love of God, of healing, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of sins in his name. Um, All right, so that's a little bit of just kind of 30,000 foot, how do we think about mission and the mission of the church? Um, I want to talk about what is the good news. So turn to the person next to you um, and take a few minutes and just talk about how would you define the good news, right? So if somebody were to ask you, what's the gospel? What is the good news? How would you define it, Okay. Take a minute or two, each of you share your thoughts. You guys are done. How would you define it to a 10-year-old? To a 10-year-old. And if you guys are done, same thing. Okay. How would you explain it, the good news, to a 10-year-old? All right. What did you say? And if you're going to share, take the mask down and nice and loud. And for the recording, I'll I'll kind of repeat a little bit what you said. But how would you define the good news? How do you explain it? Sure. We can start with that, and then and then I'd love to hear how would it be different for a ten year old. uh, Let's let's start just most basic. Okay, so some idea of fellowship with God was destroyed by our sin, and the good news is that God, through his work, has opened the way again for us to know God and to be with him, to be with him in his throne room. Okay, what were some of the things you all said in the front row here? Know God right now. Yeah.
1: We talked about it. Oh, did you
0: it? That's, go ahead. Yeah. So brokenness, that there's brokenness, um, but that brokenness does not have the last word. Death it even itself does not have the last word, um, that by Jesus' death and resurrection, there is actually something beyond. a Fixing of the brokenness, um, and that the last word is a good word. The final word is a good word. Okay. Um, so we already read... Oh. Let's do, how did it change for a 10-year-old? If you're explaining the good news to a 10-year-old, I'd be curious to know how that made it different for you. All.
2: Um, my roommate has said, so she used to work in children's ministry, and she said like, that her theology, she tries to always think about how to explain it to a 10-year-old. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. great other so just tying it to an experience they've had and especially I love that you're choosing forgiveness right you're saying the same way that you've experienced forgiveness in this way actually that's the same way you can experience it with God okay what else did y'all say So, using an analogy, you know, something they can understand, and using similar language to what the Bible uses at different places of, of debt uh, and payment. And there was a cost, but the cost was paid by, not by you, but by your, your parents. And then, but still, I hear in, in that the, the end goal of restoration of relationship. Cool. Addie or Christy want to share? Okay. A relationship with Jesus. Yeah, the, you can know Jesus now, yeah. and he can transform your life. Just trusting in him. That's really important. Yeah, yeah, because I, I don't know that I've heard that element yet of, of the, that I'm in some way either inviting Jesus into my life, or I'm I'm placing my life into Jesus' hands. Like, I'm trusting in Him, believing in Him. Yeah. Okay. Turn to Acts chapter 10. It's always helpful just to to ask, well, where, where does the Bible succinctly define good news? And you could actually go back to Luke 24 that we already read. You know, as Jesus is saying, here's, here's your message in a nutshell. Um, here's another great place. Um, so what I actually want you to do right now is read it to yourself silently, starting at verse 34. Sorry. Uh, no, yes, 34 to 43. Okay. Sorry, 30 to what? Chapter 10. Verse 34, so this is Peter, you know the story of Peter showing up with Cornelius, and Cornelius has gathered his whole extended family and others to hear the good news, and so then here is Peter explaining the good news. Um, So 34 to 43, read that through, and then take a minute or two just to kind of draw out from that, okay, how, how does Peter define the good news? And then I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, what, uh, what are you seeing here? What's standing out to you? And how would we understand peace biblically? So really important, because peace can, can be reduced to something just like an inner calmness, which is really just one of the byproducts, and a wonderful one. But biblically, peace has to do with a lot of what we were talking about earlier of restoration, reconciliation, relationship. Great. What else have you seen?
3: That Paul emphasizes that it's for uh, every nation, that the good news is
0: for everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah, yeah yeah and and in this particular context right. th- there's there's a unique that is a unique angle because that's what's happening here is Peter is seeing oh this is this is for every nation i I'm seeing that I know t- Jesus said it many many times um, but here I'm seeing it for myself okay what else is standing out to you as far as how we would define or, or or announce the good news to others like Peter. I
4: think at the end, it's really succinct and clear where he just says, Paul will believe in him, receives forgiveness of sins to his name. It's 43. Yep. Yeah, verse
0: 43. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Lord of all. Jesus, he's Lord of all. He's appointed by God to be judge. He's appointed by God to be judge of all. How is that good news? How does that translate to if you're talking with somebody? Because that, it kind of stands out as interesting to me.
2: I think there's a, a hope in, in justice being served. Um,
0: So just the fact that there is a judge and that justice will be done. But then what's the very next verse that, Cheddar, you pointed out? That, that there is forgiveness. So, t- so to say there is, a, there is a day of judgment when all the world will stand before Jesus, and he will be the one who decides what was right and what was wrong and And he will he will show every wrong thing for what it was, well, hopefully, if somebody's you know paying attention to their lives, they'll realize that's bad news and that's why they need to hear the good news of but there's forgiveness for everyone and now this is to your point, Addie, everyone who believes in him there it is, because trust and believe same word so, so there's something important here of putting your trust in Jesus, believing in Him, believing that He is who um, Peter is saying that He is. So as I look at this, let me show you what I see. Going back to verse 36. So the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. So one thing we can take away from that is when we're sharing the good news, part of what we're doing is we're talking about who Jesus is. He's Lord of all. That's a way of saying Jesus is God. So if I were to explain this to a 10-year-old, I, I would say, well, Jesus is God. He's the Lord of the universe. But he's God who came to earth. Right, so here we have the incarnation right there. He's Lord of all. And he came to bring peace. He came to fix what was broken, especially in, in relationship between people who are far from God, people who are far from each other. So Jesus is God. He came to earth. And I I like that part of telling the gospel is talking about who Jesus is. So he's God, which also means he's he's the judge of all, right? Um, But then Peter tells a little bit of the story of Jesus. So you're talking to somebody, assume they don't know this, or assume that they do, but but it's just reinvigorating to hear, and Jesus went about doing good. He set people free. He healed people. Jesus had power. And this gets to what you were saying, Christy, of, of the, the announcing the kingdom and the good news. Part of it is, is proclaiming the kingdom's here. Part of it is saying, be healed, right? For somebody, that is the kingdom, and that is good news, is when their eyes are blind and now they're open, or when they couldn't walk and now they can walk, that's the kingdom, that is the good news. And you think about it, it makes sense. That's good news to a blind person The best news is, you can see, to a hungry person, the best news is eat. Uh, To a poor person, the best news is, actually, you own the earth. (laughs) You will inherit the earth. But that idea of, of the kingdom coming now. But when you're telling the story of Jesus, he did that. So don't leave that out. So he went about doing good, and I love this phrase, healing everyone who is oppressed by the devil healing every affliction. So he healed physical ailments, but he also healed people who spiritually were under the power of the devil. That's what Jesus did. But then, key to the story, he died. He was put to death. He was put to death, but God raised him from the dead. And in an initial conversation, I don't know that you need to go into a super in-depth theology of atonement and all that it meant, but the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that's got to be part of the good news. And, and it can be simply, I think we can trust that where somebody may not understand or we, we, we would think they wouldn't understand, that they can understand here. So somebody doesn't need to understand atonement and the sacrificial system of, of Israel and how blood being shed can actually apply to it. They don't need to understand that, but what they do need to hear is Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That his blood was shed for you so that your sins could be forgiven. That's what they need to hear. And we'll, we'll leave it to the Spirit of God to translate and help them understand. But I, you know, I tell you from experience that a three year old can understand that Jesus died on the cross to save the world. When Simon was three, out of the blue, he just looked up at me and he said, Jesus died on a cross, saved a world. That's so nice. <laughs> That's so nice. So even little kids can understand that Jesus dying on the cross saved the world. Even if they couldn't explain the theology of atonement, they can, uh, they can put that together. And so as we're understanding what is the good news, that, that is the heart and center. The cross is absolutely the heart and center. He died on a cross, but God raised him again. So yes, talking about the resurrection... Death does not have the final word for Jesus. And in the same way of saying you could be forgiven by his, his blood, to also say, and you can live forever. As he was raised from the dead, his promise to us is that we also would be raised from the dead and the hope of eternal life. Um, I, I get concerned that we try to, and, and I've, I've actually heard um, I didn't listen to this, but I was talking to somebody who was there. They were at a, a Wheaton Chapel a couple years back, where the speaker was basically saying, we need to be more sophisticated in, in how we explain and understand the gospel. We, we need to be more sophisticated. And, and as I, again, I wasn't there, I wasn't listening. I think he was probably responding to, um, he was responding to something about, an oversimplified or, sure, maybe, maybe there's a, a way of framing up the gospel that leaves out the hope that Jesus is, is here now, that it's not just waiting for later, you know? But on the whole, I, I really disagree. I think the gospel is, is pretty simple. You know, you look at, at this chapter, how Peter frames it up, it's pretty simple. Um, or even the, the typical, like, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You know, we, we don't need to get um, nuanced or sophisticated or, or novel. We don't, get to, we don't need to get new um, in the way that we explain the gospel. We don't need to reinvent the wheel on this one. Um, I think that tendency or that feeling that we need to do that is felt mostly among Christians who who have you know, heard the same things over and over, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and it's Christians looking for a, a new or fresh way to understand the gospel that's dry. But actually the world just needs the simple gospel. And Christians, what we need to do is say, okay, that's, one on, that's 101. Now we need to move on to mature things like what does the Christian life look like? Let's talk about living virtuously. Let's talk about growing in holiness. If you want to To throw your energy to nuance and sophistication or depth and insight and all, put it there on on sanctification and our growth in life in Christ. Um, But as far as what is the gospel, we don't need to get fancy. We actually shouldn't. That's a problem. (laughs) Uh, I was visiting a res group a while ago, um, and uh, we were just doing a study. I forget what the study was, but I threw out this scenario. Um, I said, all right. Let's say you're at work, and your coworker comes to you in the break room, and it's somebody that you know. You've you've kind of built up a friendship with. They trust you. They they know that you're a Christian. They can just tell because you don't swear. That's usually the first thing. Like, oh, you don't swear. Um, I mean, it's it's good. That if we don't swear and cuss, then I guess people notice that. I think we want them to see deeper things now, but whatever. So they figure out some way or another that you're, so your coworker comes to you and she says, or he says, "Um, something happened last week and I've been feeling awful about it. Uh, I actually cheated on my my husband or I cheated on my wife and I, I, I can't believe I did it, but I did. And that's they're just coming to you, and they're, they're making that confession. What is the good news to that man? What is the good news to that woman? So I threw this out to the res group, and some earnest young guy who was a moody grad um, and had been trained in, in the um, you know the full schematics of atonement theology, so his problem was not that he was getting. Too like nuanced and sophisticated, or, or you know, culturally culturally appealing about the gospel. His problem was he was getting too theological about it, and he, he and he missed the the fact that here's here's somebody, who is already contrite. They're actually confessing their sin, and instead he went into like, uh, you know, all have fallen short, and you know he needs to know, um, you know that Jesus is. The, I think he used the word propitiation, um, and and he just he he went on. And, you know, in those cases, you're usually looking for a way to say, you know, I like what you said here, but, and in this case, I just said, no, that's wrong. <laughs> that was the wrong response. No, <laughs> no, what this, what this man in this scenario needed to hear is something very, very simple. He needs you to say, wow, thanks for sharing that. I can understand why you'd feel really awful about that. Do you know that Jesus can forgive you for the wrong things you've done? Jesus wants to forgive you for all the wrong things you've done. And then he, he wants to help you live a different way. That's the gospel in that scenario. And so we make it too complicated if we either feel this need to be culturally sophisticated or nuanced or, or, or relevant, or what's the other word? Um, winsome. We can be overcomplicated if we try to be too theological. And that's where the exercise of how would I explain this to a 10-year-old can be really, really helpful. Because in a moment like that, that person just needs to know this is about the forgiveness of sins. So again, returning to Acts 10, you know, it can be something as simple as, as talking about, well, Jesus is God who came to earth. He's the Lord of all, but God came to earth. He went about doing good. He healed people from physical affliction, from diseases. He also healed them from from spirits that were oppressing them. Um, He had power. But then he died on the cross to forgive the sins of the world. To heal the broken relationship between God and humanity. He came back alive. And he promises that anyone who trusts in him, who believes that he is who I'm telling you he is, that they can be forgiven of their sins and that they too will rise again on the last day and live with him forever. And just to trust that if somebody is seeking after God, that what they need to hear is forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. And that it's Christians who are nervous about those things. It's Christians who feel like we need to frame up the gospel in some way where we don't have to talk about sin so much. No, don't you understand that somebody who's burdened with sin, they need to know that, yes, it's sin, and it can be forgiven, and that, yes, there's hope of eternal life. Uh, One of our parishioners, Megan, um, maiden name LaRusso, I forget her married name now, she has a heart for evangelism. She works at a tech company down the city, and she's pretty much the only evangelical Christian, you know, on, on the staff of, of dozens and dozens of people. And they did a diversity day, um, you know, typical, uh, you know, big tech company in the city kind of thing. Diversity day, and, and they had all different kinds of diversity, but one of them was religious diversity. So she said, okay, well, if they are really serious about this, then then hopefully that means they want to know what I think and what I believe. So she was a little bit nervous going into that day. But to their credit, she found that as she said, well, here's, here's what I believe, here's what I think about things, uh, people were in her little circle of a dozen. They were open and, and interested and, and respectful, which was cool to hear. Uh, but what she s- said to me that uh, just grabbed my heart was as they were talking about spiritual things, a number of the people just talked about their paralyzing fear of death. They're paralyzed by the fear of death. One coworker said, every night I go to sleep scared of dying. And, 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 and that and forgiveness of sins, you know, we talk about forgiveness of sins all the time in the church and we forget that there are people who are living their whole lives and they don't know that the wrong things that they have done can be forgiven. And that's the good news that they need to hear. They, they go through their whole life terrified of dying and, and of the end. And they need to hear, there's, there's actually hope of something after this life. And it's actually something even better than you've experienced in this life. So let's not overcomplicate the gospel. And yes, let, let's, let's avoid any kind of, you know, it's, it's only a get out of hell free card. Or it only, only applies to life after this. Let's, let's announce the kingdom now. And part of the good news is saying, Jesus, good, for you, good news for you today. Be healed. Be free. Let me pray for you right now. Absolutely. But that we want to say that's a both and, right? That's not an either or. Um, this is, uh, I'll tell a story here that um, is kind of just for fun, just a cool story uh, that Acts chapter 10 reminds me of. So my sister-in-law is Chinese, and she's a fifth generation Christian in China. So my brother's been in China for about a decade now. He met her, they fell in love, Um, got married. They still live there in China. They've got two kids now. Uh, But when I went over there for the wedding six years ago, uh, it was actually a neat trip because my sister was living in Jerusalem at the time, just randomly. So I thought, well, while I'm on the continent, why don't I spend a week in China and then go with my sister and spend a week in the Holy Land? I've always wanted to do that. And the Holy Land was awesome. Um, I would love to go back and and do it even better, Uh, but it's still really neat. But the most amazing and most holy experience of, of those whole two weeks was actually back in China when we were driving in a van for three hours to go to some you know, national park uh, out in the desert. And I was in the van with my sister-in-law's mom um, and a few other Chinese. And through translator, just for three hours, she so- told stories of her family because it was her, her family that the generations back were all believers. And I wish I had recorded or wrote down some of those stories, uh, because of the persecutions that they've endured, uh, but also just the stories of power and, and miracles, and just I—that was the holiest experience of those whole two weeks. It was amazing. Uh, but the original convert in their family, back five generations, the kind of patriarch was this guy who had done some traveling, but this is you know late 1800s, so I, I don't think he actually came to the West. But he traveled around a little bit outside of China where he came into contact with Christianity. When he came back home, they lived in the north where there, the missionaries had not yet reached the, the north, but he'd heard that there were missionaries in the south of China. So he wrote to some and he said, come to my home. I will gather all of my people and tell us what, tell us about Jesus. So two missionaries take the train up from the south of China, and then this guy gathers his extended family, right? So it's like 50 or 60 people all gathered in one house. And for two or three days, these missionaries just explain the story of the Scriptures, and they explain who Jesus is. And, and this man says, okay, I, I believe, and we all believe. We're all Christians now. And they were baptized, and then from that moment forward, you know, he became... The, the, the pastor and the leader of the Christian community because after the missionaries left, you know, that was, they were it. Um, and so then the rest of his life, he, he was the Christian leader and then his, his family around him, they were the, the leaders. And more st- cool stories. But it's definitely this Acts 10, like Cornelius, come to my house and tell us about Jesus. And then we all believe and we're baptized and the Holy Spirit falls. Uh, at the end of his life, apparently uh, he, the Lord told him, I'm going to take you on Wednesday uh, so you have two days. He said, "Okay." So he gathers his whole family back again, uh, and he says, "The Lord has told me that I will die on Wednesday." And so then he spent, you know, two days just exhorting them to be faithful and to carry on the work. And then, sure enough, on Wednesday he dies. And then a neighbor comes over and she knocks on the door. And she's like, "What's going on over here?" And they said, "Well, you know, Grandpa, Grandpa just died. So we're we're all here and we're we're grieving." And but. She said, no, what's going on here? I saw a ladder going up into the sky, and I saw beings of light going up and down on the ladder. What's going on here? And they said, oh, well, I guess that's the angels who have come to take Grandpa home. And so many other stories like that. So that, that has nothing to do with evangelism, except that it's just a cool story. I suppose it ties in, in, in what I said earlier, of, of I absolutely believe with my whole heart that this is not confined to the apostolic era, uh, that God wants to keep doing these things over and over. Um, you know, one other story, I'll just share one other story of, of we imitate the life of Christ and that we're supposed to do what Jesus did. So this, um, this woman, my sister-in-law's mother, She was a little girl during the cultural revolution, Mao's cultural revolution of the 60s. Uh, Awful, awful time. Uh, Purging of everything that was not, you know, Chinese. So Christianity, missionaries, um, just an incredible persecution. So she was a little girl during that time, and her mom and dad were the Christian leaders in their town, because they were part of this family whose generations, they were all the pastors. And at one point, uh, the police come and they knock on the door and they drag uh, her mother, so this is now my sister-in-law's grandma, uh, but when she was probably, I don't know, my age, I would guess, they dragged her out. And one of the things that they would do to shame you is they would parade you through the streets with a wooden block, you know, over your shoulders, so basically like you're in stocks. So they put this wooden block over her shoulders. They, they tie her hands to it. And then she's being paraded through the street by these police, you know, on either side. But with her is a robber on her left and a robber on her right, who also have the wooden blocks on. And they're also being paraded and, you know, shown as examples of what not to do, right? And as they're going, occasionally the the police or read soldiers were, were beating this woman but by the end it was the robbers saying stop that we're why are you doing that we're getting what our deeds deserve we're, we're thieves we we've done wrong so you can beat us but this woman has done nothing wrong don't beat her and by the end they're they're you know throwing their bodies on over her to you know protect her from the beatings and and you just you hear that and you think oh my word that's Jesus, in her, doing again the same thing, filling up the afflictions and what is lacking so that the gospel may go forth, as Paul says in Colossians, right? That's what he meant by that. Not that Christ was lacking anything in his death on the cross, but rather that in order for the gospel and the kingdom to go forth, this paradigm of cross-resurrection, it actually of suffering, redemptive suffering, it has to be repeated. You know, every time you're tilling new soil, bringing the gospel to new places, this paradigm is going to be repeated. So, anyway, that also has nothing to do with exactly what we're talking about, except that it's a cool story. Um, All right. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. Um, I've got a few more things, and then uh, I, I do hope that we'll get out and do some mission this morning. That's my goal. So 10 minutes, come back at 1040. Sound good? So let's transition now to sharing the good news. And I want you again, uh, yeah, let's do this first. Just kind of turn to the person next to you and share either positive or also negative experiences that you've had in the past with, you know, times that you've been you know, either in a youth group or, or on a missions trip or whatever, You know, and the goal was, okay, we're going to share the good news today. And I, and I really mean it. Like, if it was a negative thing, if there are negative stories, that's important for us to work through because I don't need to tell you that the idea of evangelism and mission makes most Christians very nervous. Okay? Uh, and there can be reasons for that. So if it's a negative ex- experience, share it. But also, I don't want to leave out the possibility that there can be positive experiences that we've had too. And through both hearing the positive and the negative, I think it can help us find our way to uh, an understanding of sharing the gospel that still is going to require some stretch and some risk, but also it's it's not as terrifying as we originally think it would be. So take three to five minutes, share both negative and, and positive experiences you've had sharing the good news. I just went up to invite... Any other staff members? Like, hey, you know, we're going to go out on mission in, in about 20, 30 minutes. So, why, yeah, why don't you come with us? There's like nobody up there. There was, there was three people up there. Like, where, did, where is everybody? They all knew it was mission day. Like, oh, man, I'm staying away. Staying away on mission day. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, I'd love to have maybe one person share a negative experience and a positive experience, Uh, let's see, which should we start with? Uh, I'm Dutch, so let's start with a negative. All right, who's got one story of, here is a negative experience um, that they can come up and actually, I'll I'll give you the mic for you to share. Anybody? Okay, Okay, yeah, let's do it.
4: I've never worn one of these. Um, This was with a a friend of mine at Illinois Tech who was not Christian, whose father had been a pastor, was a pastor, I think was still a pastor, but he, the student, was no longer a believer, was atheist. And um, a few months into our friendship, we would just like study together and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to ask him about god and if you had any thoughts about it in that conversation i found out his dad is a pastor and all that stuff and we i think it kind of i was articulating it to matt was it just kind of became more like debate like rather than me bearing witness to something true which had happened and i know i feel a lot of weight when i'm sharing something if i can tell that they're not operating on the same like with the same currency, like what I say is true, they're like, yeah, that might be, or that, that could probably be false. So I felt it really hard to like, just kind of declare what had happened in my life as true um, and bear witness, like true witness to things. Um, and it, yeah, I don't know, it just kind of became like, more like a debating any other topic. Like, oh, well, what counterpoint to that is this? and. It was it was not like super, even relational with like the Lord describing like my relationship with God.
0: Awesome, and it's really helpful because yeah, I think one of one of the ways we can get it wrong is to is to think we'll argue somebody into the kingdom, which is not to say that there isn't a place for traditional apologetics, um, and understanding your faith. Uh, But I I think what you're saying is, I I think there would have been some things that would have been more fruitful, like just to share my own testimony, definitely. Um, To just bear witness to the power of God, absolutely. One thing I'm thinking about more is if you're able to get to a place in a friendship like that where somebody's willing to study the Bible, I feel like conversations that are just ideas, theological ideas or even ideas about Jesus you're only going to go around in circles, but as soon as you have something that is, you know, kind of external to the two of you, that you're both looking at and saying, hmm, "Yeah, you're, what do we see here?" It, it kind of removes the, the the fangs a little bit of of the kind of toe-to-toe antithetical nature of that, and makes it more like, "Well, let's just discover what this." Believe it or not, you know, you, you, you can choose to believe it or you can choose to dismiss it, but let's, let's just try to understand this over here. And then, of course, it's the power of God's word, right? Um, so that's something that more and more I'm, I'm wondering, okay, when those situations arise, can it be something as simple as, all right, let's, let's read through, um, I know Trevor, they've, they've got a, a seven-week, you read through the seven signs of John, um, and, and that, that person, by the end of that, you know, has a very clear understanding of who Jesus is. Um, okay. Who has a positive experience of sharing the gospel? Yeah. I'm going to have you share um, for sure. Matt's got a good story I want you all to hear. Um, but any of the women have a story that they wanted to share first? Okay. Let's do Christy, and then Matt, share your story.
1: Um, so this happened my the summer after my sophomore year at Wheaton. I went back to Cameroon and CAR, and I was staying at the boarding school where I had gone, and ended up being there quite a lot longer than I thought I was going to be. So I decided I should like get to know the neighbors in the area more. So I started visiting this neighbor of mine and got to know her well. She's from a, a Muslim people group. And there were quite a few of that people group in the neighborhood. Um, so I got to know her, got to know her kids. It was great. Um, then I went back to the US. I studied abroad, and I came a second time. And during that study abroad, I um, I had a lot of contact with some crew people that that were very. They sort of pushed me to do more of the like explain the gospel and then like ask for a decision or a, like a commitment or a response, which in Jordan was very difficult. Everyone's so Muslim. And- they're not going to change. Um, but in when I showed up in Cameroon, I went to visit her again. It was great to see her again. And um, I forget how I brought it up, but I just sort of explained the gospel to her and then asked, like, do you think this is something you would ever believe in? And I was shocked because she was like, if it weren't for my husband and my mother, yes. And so I was like, whoa, like, do you already believe this like, secretly? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and it turns out, she like, I, it was hard because I didn't want, she's in a really difficult position where I didn't want even her kids to hear us talking about it if it would get her in trouble. So from what I can tell, she became a Christian from like, tele-evangelists. Yeah. And um, I was able to give her the the like a an audio Bible on an SD card in her language. Um, So I have no contact with her now, but that was just a story where it was like, wow, I took this step, and you know, she I was the first person she'd ever told, and um, yeah, and just that she would trust me because that. In her culture, that really puts her life in danger, to tell me that. Um, and I, I followed up a little bit with her asking, like, do you want me to try to connect you to someone who can visit with you and mentor you? And she was like, she was kind of like, don't, don't get me in trouble. But she did. She was really happy to get the, the Bible and stuff. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay, um, I, have, I have kind of actually two stories, uh, because they, I think they relate, um, and I, I don't have many more than that, so yeah, don't, I'm very, still very new at it, but they're both very confe- they're confession stories, and I wanted to tell the first one because it was actually the exact scenario that Father uh, Brett gave us of someone who confesses adultery. I was uh, in the Frankfurt airport, and I had just worked with a church through the summer in Frankfurt, and um, I was flying back home, and I was early to the gate, and there was this other guy who was super early, too, and we just started talking, and before long, he told me, like, um, you know, he had asked me, like, what what were you doing in Frankfurt? I told him about the church and everything. He's like, oh, so, so you're a Christian, right? And I said, yeah, I am. And then he started telling me about his kind of on-and-off relationship with, with God and uh, specifically with Christianity, um, with Jesus. And then, uh, then just, like, confessed to me that, like, he had committed adultery. Um, and he's like, yeah, it was, it was, you know, just like last year. And, man, I just felt so horrible. I just, I, I just hated myself and my wife. She was, she was great. She wanted to work through it. Um, but I couldn't even sleep in the same bed with her. Like, I had to sleep on the couch. I was so ashamed. And I don't know. I, I normally, like, you know, I wanted to... Um, so I, I was, like, kind of talking him through this. And, and then I just felt like God wanted me to, like, really confront him. So um, I told him, like, you know, you have been seeking integrity with your wife again after cheating on her. But you've been cheating on God. And until you make your life right with God again, like... That, that guilt that you have will just always be there. And it's your guilt that's keeping you from reconnecting with your wife. So reconnect with God, then you can reconnect with your wife. And I was just like, I stepped back to see, like, how, how's that going to land on him? And he was just like, I think God, like, orchestrated this meeting. Like, I think I need to do that. I think I need to recommit my life to, to God. I was like, yeah, well, we'll do that. Um, he's like, okay, I'll do that. So I, I didn't get his number or anything or, like, follow-up. I, I In hindsight, I probably should have done that. But then my other one was also kind of confessional, and this was this was just two days ago. So the Frankfurt one was maybe two years ago, um, and this one was two, three days ago. And it was my neighbor um, just a few doors down. I live in an apartment complex, and, um, you know, I'm out on the kind of walkway area. We have a little bench there and um, just kind of reading some theology as a... Um, as I tend to, to do on sunny days, and you have to kind of walk right past my my bench to get to the um, to get to the laundry room. So there's this guy, you know, he he's I don't know, he's probably in his early 30s, and um, I've had a few interactions with him I, n- enough to where he knows that I work at Church of the Resurrection, and and um, and uh, that I, I know so I know what what he does for a living. And, so he comes by with his laundry, and he's just like, hey, Matt, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, it's going well. He's like, what are you reading? I was like, oh, you know, I didn't want to tell him Christian theology. Uh, I, just, I just told him I'm reading Christian stuff for my, for my work, for work. And he's just like, oh, all right, nice, great. Um, and he's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I really like reading and, and he, you know, you can see into our apartment and all of our, like, uh, neighbors have commented on the books that they can see through our window. <laughs> so just like, oh, thank you, neighbors. And I know you all look through our window and our books. <laughs> and, and so he just like, yeah, man. And he had mentioned before, like wanting to, um, you know, get a book recommendation from me. So following up on that I was like what do you read to kind of get an idea of what he reads and then maybe I could recommend him something and so he' was just like yeah you know I you know I read a lot of fitness stuff and and because um, he's a kickboxing instructor at UIC. Um, so he's like yeah I'm just you know I do some I do some like uh, I, I read a lot of like scholarly articles on fitness loves fitness really loves uh, caring for the body, thinks that's really important. He's a very healthy-looking man himself. Um, and, yeah, so we kind of got to talking a little bit about, like, health and wellness. And then, you know, he start. and then I say, okay, what else do you read? And, and you know, he mentioned some other things, including uh, mere Christianity. So he's really in, in, interested in the, the mind, you know, caring about the, the mind as well as the body. And um, so I was like, "Oh, mere Christianity? Would you, you know, would you consider yourself a Christian?" I feel like that's something that Christians might, <laughs> might read. And he was like, "Well, sort of. I don't know. I've been kind of on and off. Um, to be honest, man, I've done a lot of things that I just feel like I shouldn't have done. And I, you know, so I've kind of have this relationship with God where I, you know, I, I haven't talked to Him in a while, and I feel like Jesus is someone that." You know he's like your friend you got to keep you got to keep texting him you got to keep keep up with him and i just haven't done that um and so uh yeah then he was he was saying that uh that he grew up in the church but then just kind of like fell away and it's been quite i got the impression it's been like 10 or 15 years you know since since he's uh really been involved in in a church seriously and I just also, is a kind of an example where I was just like, wow, David, well, it sounds like you're a man of integrity. You're somebody who uh, wants to do things, whatever you put your mind to, you want to do it really well. So when it comes to fitness, uh, you want to really, like, you don't want to just uh, merely exercise. You want to know what you're doing. You want to know uh, the health benefits you need. You want to know what you're, you know, what is the right thing to eat and He's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm just really passionate about that. I'm like, yeah, and it sounds like you're also a man of integrity with the mind. You want to take care of your mind. And I was like, well, if you want to be fully a man of integrity, can you really say that you're you know, being fully you know, a, a man of integrity if you're not also taking care of the soul? And he's like, yeah, I've thought about that. You know, I've been telling people that you know, we've got to take care of the whole person, and you're right, I haven't, I haven't been taking care of the soul. I was like, yeah, well, it sounds like, David, you should, you should go back to church. Um, you know, you, if you, I, I see that you're a man of integrity, be a man of integrity, you know, you, you, you have said yourself that you want to go back to the church, so do it, follow through, like, you're the kind of guy who follows through, so follow through, and it also is an experience where he was like, yeah, gosh, that's right, you know, I haven't, I haven't done that, and I said, yeah, you should come to my church, because we we're kind of doing this outdoor service next week, and, you know, I, so he, he looked up our church and everything, and but yeah, so that was another kind of example of, like, uh, so these, both of these stories are stories uh, where a confession happened, and then that allowed me to, like, witness and, like, kind of move the person towards, um, I don't know, towards towards Jesus, actually. So, um, yeah, that was that's pretty much it. I actually have a story that I'd like
6: to share, too. It's kind of odd. I don't know if it's, like, it's not really positive or negative. I guess it's more positive.
0: <laughs>
6: um, so this story is from last winter break. I went with Noah and his family to serve at this um, intervarsity camp that was like the week between Christmas and New Year's. And it was for international students studying in the States um, who were either at UW-Madison or at MSU in Michigan. Um, Noah invited one of his co-workers along because his co-worker is from India, and so um, he's not a student, but there was a a connection there with with, uh, being being from um, another country, and um, Noah had um, shared the gospel with um, this man before several times, and they had had many ongoing conversations about Noah's faith and his relationship with God. Um, And then through the course of this camp, there were many gospel presentations, small group Bible studies for um, the participants to explore reading the Bible. And so we had many, many conversations with Amon throughout the course of the week. And um, it was um, during like the beginning of these conversations, whenever I talked to him about spiritual things, I just kept having this picture in my mind of oil and water separating. It was just very clear and I thought, wow, that's very odd. Why would I think, at first I was like, oh, I'm just like, why would I think that? And then um, it kept coming back to my mind. So I really thought, wow, this must be the Lord using um, an image to speak to me. And so um, during these conversations, Amon was just really um, denying the world's need for a savior. Um, that was probably the most confusing thing about these conversations is that he, um, he didn't see any need for salvation from sin and himself, but really denied that there needed to be redemption or justice from any evil in the world um, because he kept saying, like, most people are good, um, you know, life is hard, but um, people aren't, they don't do bad things. They're just responding to their situations. Um, and he just has a really strong distaste for organized religion. He grew up Hindu in India, and um, just not really interested in that at all. So we had had many of these conversations, but um, he kept, he had the appearance of being very open, but I asked him a couple of times, you know, if you're so interested in Jesus, why don't you just, you know, ask him to reveal himself to you, if that's Um, You know, if you really are interested in reading the Bible, you know, just ask God. And he was so opposed to that immediately, closed back up and was like, no, I don't want God to reveal himself to me. Um, So it was very clear that he had engaged with his mind, but really not with his heart at all. Um, And so it was was just many discouraging conversations. Um, But then at the New Year's Eve, at the camp, we had this big party where a bunch of people made um, foods from the home countries that they were from, and so I was helping him make um, this Indian stew. And um, we had cut up all these vegetables, sautéed them, and then put them in a pot, um, and with a bunch of other ingredients, and then we turned the pot on, simmering. And Mon was like, "Okay, so now we just..." gotta wait for the oil to separate from the water um, because in really good Indian cooking the oil separates and um, creates this layer on top Um, so once you have all the ingredients in there you just need to wait and I was like wait what he's like oh yeah we just we just have to wait for the the oil and water to separate so it was kind of odd because there really wasn't we left that week feeling pretty discouraged about where he's at, but at the same time, that felt like such a clear sign from the Lord that yes. something else is going on in yeah. his heart. Yeah.
0: That was a cool story. Um, wow. Well, Christy, the Lord clearly speaks to you through images. Um, thinking of, and dreams, when I prayed for Noah, and it was part of a dream, so that's cool. Just ask the Lord to keep developing that gift in you. Um, what's, what was the name of that, Iman? Iman? Yeah, let's pray for Iman right now. Father in heaven, um, you know the story of every man and woman, and you know the appointed time for Iman, and we're, we're praying that the, the heat would stay on, and the pot would be simmering. And we we simply ask that the appointed time would come for him, that when all the things that are there, the ingredients that have been put into the pot, um, when the pot reaches that, that point where the oil is separated from the water, that his eyes would be open, he would see his need for Jesus. We pray that if there's any demonic... Uh, Covering over his eyes that would be broken now in the name of Jesus. Reveal yourself to him. Lord, until he is able to ask that for himself, we pray that you would reveal yourself to Iman. And let's actually stand up and just lift up your hands. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, we pray, we intercede on behalf of this young man That you would break the demonic stronghold over his eyes the spiritual blindness in jesus name and that on his own lips he would say lord help me to see open my eyes and that he would pray to receive you jesus into his heart and the forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life we pray this father that you would be glorified and that on the last day we would all just rejoice, and those of us here who've heard the story would rejoice with extra joy uh, just to see how the story came to completion. But we believe this because you revealed it to Christi. Uh we, we believe that you're doing something in this young man's life. We believe that he will be there in the kingdom when we arrive. And so we, we just put this up to you, Lord, trusting in your providence, trusting in your love. Amen. So I think part of what can be negative about sharing the gospel and the good news is any kind of expectation that we have on ourselves, that we have to close the deal, or that we, that we have to have something out of this conversation. And that's a great example where the Lord was saying to you, through, both through your image, but also through his own words, Amon's own words, now we just have to wait. Every, everything in the pot is there. But now we just have to wait. That was the Lord speaking to you and saying, you've you've done your work. You've put in the ingredients. Now we have to wait. And the Lord knows the day and the appointed time for that young man. I believe we'll see him in the kingdom of heaven. I believe that God revealed that to you. Uh, Praise the Lord. So if we approach all of these conversations with that sort of, you know what, We're, we're not bringing any expectations to this. I think it does help de-stress, you know. Um, a, a, another thing that's been helpful that I'll, I'll pass out now um, is, is kind of a, an acronym, a paradigm for, for understanding w- reframing mission. You know, what, what is it that we're trying to do to, to bring the transforming presence of Jesus to the world around us, to bring the light of Christ? <laughs> Clearly, I thought there would be more people here this morning. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea what to expect. So I don't know if this is like what normal Gregory House is supposed to be like, but so sorry for that if it's. um, If we come at it with a sense of we are clothed with the power of Jesus, we have the Spirit in us, and we're simply seeking to bring the power of God and the love of God, because that's what Jesus did. He went around... In power, doing good. He announced the kingdom, he brought the love of God. If that's all we're trying to do, then, then there actually are, are a lot of different things that we can do in any given situation that would all count as, as a W, as a win. Right? And so this acronym bless is really helpful to just show us all the ways that we can be doing this work of mission. Um, okay? Um, and, and just as a word of, of full disclosure, I think, you know, as much as I've been joking about, oh, you know, no one's showing up because it's mission day, and, like, I, I, I get really intimidated about this, too. You know, like, last Saturday, I'm on the soccer field, uh, or standing on the sidelines, you know, Simon's in soccer now, and there's all these people from Winfield, and it's like, oh, these are my Winfield people, you know? But I, I feel nervous about, you know, starting to build relationships and, and all of, like, it, it Yeah, I know that feeling really well, and this is not something that I feel good about um, as far as, yeah, I'm always sharing the gospel or I'm always on mission. Uh, One thing that I've been praying for is just that I would be more and more open and more and more bold and just eyes more open. Um, It was something that I felt really insecure about, especially as a pastor, to ever, call others into or, or to teach on, like to do anything like this, or or especially from the pulpit, because I just, I assumed that everybody in the church was was probably better at it than me um, or or doing it more than I was. And then the more I talked to people and the more I understood where our people are at, I realized, no, nobody feels good about where they're at with this. Everybody feels intimidated. and I, And it was actually helpful to say, okay, we're all in the same boat together. And I am equipped to at least say... I don't, I don't have the answers either, but let's do this. Let's go for it. Let's be open. Let's, let's ask for God to show us the way. Uh, there are some things that, that I can do a little bit more of, imitate me as I imitate Christ. On this one, it's more like, let's just, let's just imitate Christ. <laughs> let's just look for Jesus. and let's, But let's do this together. And that's where I feel empowered and emboldened as a pastor now to say, let's figure it out. Let's do it. And let's just get better and better at it. Let's let's not beat ourselves up about it because that doesn't help. Let's let's eschew and let go of all the expectations because that doesn't help. And let's come at this with joy and expectation. And then trusting in the power of the Spirit. All right. Because I believe that Jesus does not reproach us. Even if he does say, yeah, you're here. I'd love for you to be here. He doesn't reproach us, especially if we're saying, Jesus, take us from here to there. Alright? And that's something that I've been praying about more and more and more. And the cool thing is, God, God is starting slowly and surely to, to do more and more. Alright, so another way to help come at the idea of sharing the good news, just in, in the lives of the people around you, is this acronym BLESS that we've borrowed from others. So B, begin with prayer. Christy, you need a pen? Nice. And this really means two things. That you're praying in your prayer closet, that you are interceding for the people in your lives who are far from the Lord. And if you don't have one person that you're regularly praying for who's not walking with Jesus, uh, there's probably somebody in your life, even if they're geographically far away, there's probably somebody that you could be praying for regularly. All you got to do is just start with even one person for your heart for evangelism to start to grow. Um, but also then your eyes will probably be open to see, oh, there, there are others, and, and even in, in my life right around me. Um, so we, we begin by praying. I'm a list guy, so it, it just helps me. I've, I've got different—I I always start when I'm praying. I always start praying for Julie and the kids. Um, and then I just kind of move out from there, I pray for my extended family, I pray for friends, I pray for the neighborhood, I pray for Winfield, I pray for DuPage County. Um, and then I usually shift, and then I start praying for the ministries that I oversee. But as far as just those, the personal people in my life, because in, in my extended family, I have a sister-in-law, a um, different, different brother who married a nominal Jewish woman, they live in New York City. And she's definitely on a spiritual journey, so I I pray for her regularly for salvation. Um, In my neighborhood, you know, as I've been getting to know more people, I would guess there's a good number of folks who um, are nominal Christian. Um, Our direct neighbor, we've been getting to know her more and more. Had a neat conversation with her just in the last few months about um, she had an accident. And... And it ended up being, the accident was because she was intoxicated. And so she had a lot of shame about that. She had a lot of shame about her relationship to alcohol. Um, And as we were talking, you know, I I shared my own story of when Jesus forgave me of my deepest sins. And and that actually is what opened her up to share, like, okay, well, actually, my accident was because I was so intoxicated. I, I don't even remember where I was or what I was doing. So now she's, she's got a healing need, a physical healing need, but she also has the soul need. And we, she's been in church, um, you know, grew up in church and spent away for a long time. And that's something we've already talked about with her, but now she's at a new level of openness and awareness. So we, we pray for our neighbor, Katie. Um, Julie's hoping to have a discipling relationship with her. Um, I was going to say, Matt, I would encourage you to really pray about uh, the seven signs of John for your kickboxing neighbor. Um, it's great that you invited him to church. A next step could also be just to say, like, hey, you know, would you, would you be up for you know, meeting over the course of seven weeks just to study the Bible together? Would that, would that be something you'd be up for? Because uh, when it's seven weeks and it's, you know, a clear end date, that makes it more likely for somebody to say, yeah, I, c- I could do that. Um, and usually somebody who's wanting to get right with God, they're open to coming to church. They're open to reading the Bible together, too. Um, so I can tell you more about that if if you want to know what, what are the seven signs, like how does that work? It's pretty simple. Um, but that'd be something to just kind of pray and think about, um, making that invitation. Yeah. Uh, but so our neighbors, you know, you, you get to know them, the neighborhood maps that we've talked about, and begin to pray. you begin to pray for them. Pray for salvation. Pray for openness. Uh, but the begin with prayer also has a second component, which is Uh, one of the best ways you can bless somebody is to pray for them in person. And this can definitely work with your neighbors. I I think in in our old neighborhood, uh, people discovered that we were Christians. Sometimes it's like Matt said, they ask you, what do you do? And if we're involved in the church, it's a little easier. Like, well, I'm a pastor. But I think just when you're ready to pray for somebody, um, that does so many things. It, It makes it clear that you are a person who prays um, and, and that you're somebody they could talk to about spiritual things. So in our old neighborhood, I think that was a lot of how people kind of got the sense that we were believers, is we would talk with Danny and Ella next door and they were having trouble with their uh, two-year-old daughter and uh, uh, we said, well, can we, can we pray for her? Can we pray for you guys? 19 times out of 20 is my kind of rough estimate. 19 times out of 20, people say, yes, wow. you can pray. So again, with our nervousness around evangelism, um, that's a real thing. You know, I was just talking to Marilyn Berthel, who's, um, you know, fighting cancer right now, and she was staying with her sister out in Ohio, a lapsed Catholic, and her sister was really clear and explicit, you, you can come because um, Marilyn said, hey, I want to just get to know you better. You know, we're sisters, but, you know, I'm, I'm facing death, and I want to get to know my family better. Um, and her sister said, yeah, come, but if you're coming to save me or to try to have a spiritual conversation, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So that's out there, and that's real, um, where there are people who are like this. Um, but I would also say 19 times out of 20, when you offer to pray for somebody, they say yes. And part of that is you're, you're not saying, you know, can I uh, you know, pray for you to receive Jesus necessarily? Um, So, yeah, it does so many things. Not only does it signal like, hey, yeah, we're we're people you can talk to about spiritual things, but it actually does something in the moment. And what I I love about resurrection is we have a belief of prayer that you're ministering the gospel to somebody when you're praying for them. That's true when we pray for one another, uh, but it's true when you're praying for for somebody who's uh, not a believer, who's fallen away, is that announcing the kingdom and the good news, you're actually doing that right there. You're touching them with the love of Jesus. A long time ago in a job I used to have, there was a maintenance guy. Uh, I was walking out one day and saw a huge, um, you know, bandage around his hand. And I said, oh, Mac, what happened? And, and he said he cut off the tip of his finger uh, doing something. And I said, oh, that's awful. And, and I said, you know, can, can I pray for you about that? And he said, yes. And I said, do, do you know, I, I believe Jesus, he could actually heal your finger. He could restore your finger. There, there are stories where he did that. You know, do you believe that? And, and Mac, you know, he's this black guy and had, had a church background, I'm sure. You know, he said, yeah, 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 I believe, man. Go ahead and pray. So, so I prayed for him. Nothing happened with his finger, <laughs> uh, but tears were in his eyes. Because anytime I pray for somebody, I always pray that they would know the love of Jesus. I always finish by praying that. And, and tears were in his eyes as, as I finished. And he just said, man, I don't know the last time anybody did that for me. So that's the good news, right? That's announcing the kingdom. That's that transforming presence of Jesus right there. And, and, and as you read the Gospels, that's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus was doing. He's, he was looking for any opportunity. How can I bless you right now? How can I minister the love and the power of God to you right now? So, beginning with prayer is so powerful. And it, it does mean two things. It's that intercessory work that I absolutely believe moves mountains, though we do have to persevere in that kind of prayer. And then it's the second thing of also saying, hey, the first step in evangelizing is it's actually just praying for somebody in person because it does bring the power of God. All right, L is listen. Question about
4: prayer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You always ask permission, like, would it be all right if if I actually placed my hand on you to pray for you? But that that physical touch. I think, yeah, uh, that seems to be, that's my typical practice. I don't don't recall times, and even the times, the one out of 20 where they say no, it's usually like a, no, I'm okay. You know, it's nothing hostile, you know. So, listen. Again, this is something that outside of the culture that we're in as Christians, our Christian subculture, where we're used to small groups where you get together and you, sh- you share highs and lows, and hey, how's your life, and how's it going? Like, that's just normal for us. For so many people, nobody listens to them, nobody has listened to them in forever. And so, you love somebody just by listening asking questions. So that's the first thing that's important about listening. But the second thing that's important about listening is it, it helps you know where where does the gospel apply to their life right now? Where is Jesus looking to bring good news to this man or this woman or this, this young person I'm talking to? So in the, the case that I shared with Danny and Ella, it was their daughter, Audrey, who was not talking yet and she was two and they were really worried you know with with my neighbor katie she's she's telling me that you know when she had the surgery she she was like oh, i started thinking about where do you go when you die and um and and you know after i shared my story and then she shared her story that listening told me like okay she's got an issue with alcohol now i know both how to pray for her but also just how to love her and As Matt, this story he shared, you listen, and now you know, here's where the gospel applies to this man's life in Frankfurt. Or, you know, you listen, and it gave you the ability to say to your kickboxer friend, yeah, you've got integrity in here, you've got integrity here, but how about some integrity here? Like, that happens as a fruit of listening. And again, one of the negative stereotypes of sharing the gospel is that we're just going in ready to, you know, bring people to a decision point, and it's us trying to force them into a certain place rather than just listening to where are you at. Uh, And it makes them uncomfortable, and it also denies us the ability to know where they're at and how, how the gospel is applying to their life today. So when we come in with the posture of listening, it really helps us. E is eat. The importance of table fellowship, you all know. But again outside of the Christian subculture, people are not used to being invited into each other's homes. Something cool that Trevor shares in his Aurora context uh, with Hispanic neighbors especially is that when minorities, and particularly Hispanic minorities, you're developing a relationship with them, they will not typically invite you over to their home because they're you know, intimidated or, or they just assume you don't you don't want to go into their house, even though they would love for you to go into their house. And so he said, in our culture, in our context, we have to invite ourselves over. Can I, can I come to your house? Which, who does that sound like? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. <laughs> um, and, and that it really blesses his Hispanic neighbors when, when he says, can we come to your house and have a meal? He, wait, you want to come to my house? And then you know, yeah. And then you come to our house, and and Trevor's logic is really great. Is they're not going to come to this table until you've sat at their table and they've sat at your table. Then then they'll come and they'll sit at this table. So, so, again, to, to Matt and, and Christy, you know, it could be that your next step with your kickboxing neighbor is just have them over for a meal. And at the end of that meal, you're, you're proposing, okay, hey, you know, this may sound totally weird and it's cool if you don't want to do this, but, uh, you know, I really loved our conversation the other day and I'd love for it to keep going. What if, what if we met up for seven weeks and just read the Bible together? Uh, S. First S is serve. So we we had some neighbors down the street. Um, Rodney, Missy, Beatrice, and Max. Pretty sure they are not following the Lord. Um, Just, you know, by some of the clues of just their life. But Julie's connected with Missy a few times as she's out on the stroller walking. Um, I've connected with Rodney a little bit. They just had their their second baby a month and a half ago. So we brought them a meal. And I I just ran down there one day when I was making the grocery list. um, And I thought, I just need to ask if they like burritos. Um, So I ran down, knocked on the door. Do you guys like burritos? We want to bring you a meal sometime this week. And the look on his face just was so clear. Nobody had ever done that before. You know, just said, we want to bring you a meal. So it was just one small little way that we could serve them. Uh, The flip side on this, which is really helpful, is you also look for ways that your neighbors can serve you because being served is actually a posture of humility. It, in some ways, is less comfortable. It can be more comfortable to say, how can I do something for you? But that's a position of power um, it can be really beautiful to say, Hey, I see that you're you're a painter. Would you, would you come over some morning and just show me how to how to paint, you know, this room? I'm trying to paint my kids' room or something like that, you know. Could you come over and show me how to do this or any any way that you can be served by them? Or the same same neighbor, uh, Katie. Uh, We were out of laundry detergent, and it was a Friday night, and we do our grocery shopping on Friday, so we'd already gone to the store. And we were fresh out of laundry, or not laundry detergent, uh, dishwashing soap. And Julie said, I think I need to run to Target. I said, no, 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 it's family fun night. I don't want to go back to the store. It's getting late. And so I thought, let's just reach out to our neighbors. In three minutes, Katie's over there. She's got this big you know, bottle of, of dishwashing, and it was so clear she was so happy to do something for us. Who We've listened to her, and, and she's obviously in a, in a position of weakness in all that she's been through. She's embarrassed, I think, about her life in many ways. And for her to be able to say, here, and, and keep it, I hardly ever use it. She was so happy to do that. It was cool. Um, and I was really, it truly served us. I did not want to go back to the store. Um, so serving is beautiful. The last S is story. Story. Um, and this is where testimony matters. And uh, something you were saying earlier, Cheddar, of, of like, oh, what if I had just shared what Jesus had done with me? You know, one of the characteristics of the East African revival This is something that Archbishop Wabakala, he was the Kenyan Archbishop. um, He's retired now, but uh, he he was sharing one time when he was visiting, and he just said In the East African revival, you always start by sharing your testimony, what Jesus has done for you. And it's so beautiful because story is powerful, people connect with story, it's easier to remember than theological points. Uh, it's also personal, and people love things that are personal. It grabs their attention, and it's hard to argue against. You can't argue with somebody's story. Um, and it's, it's also beautiful because it's real. You're, you're saying how your life has been transformed by Jesus. And then it just makes somebody else say, oh, I want that. I love Mark chapter 5. It's one of my favorite stories, the garrison demoniac. So many things I love about it. Um, One thing I love about it is when you look at the context of where Jesus was and then where he goes after the story, it's clear that they got in the boat, they went across the lake, he does the thing, and then they go right back to the other side. And it's almost as if the Spirit of God said to Jesus, go across the lake, there's one man I need you to save today. And that whole trip and the whole work of getting across the lake and back was just for that one man. And, of course, the power of the legion of demons being cast out, that is so powerful. Uh, but another thing I love about the story is at the end, the man's running after him, and he says, I, I want to follow you. And Jesus says to him, no, but go back to your hometown, go back to where you're from, and tell them the story of what God has done for you. And just the, the story of what God has done for you as being one of the primary ways that we share the gospel. And so I would encourage you to think through, yeah, your testimony. And maybe it's, maybe it's your story of, of what God has done for you, your, your, your life story with God. Um, maybe it's, it's a more poignant moment. I know for me, I, I have a story in my life where I understood the power of the gospel. In fact, because this is my story, I'm guessing you've probably heard me share it in a sermon or here or there or confirmation class if you've done that. But I just, at one point I realized, oh, that's my story. That's the story that I get to I get to tell. And it's a story of when I was in college and I was dating a young woman before I met Julie and I was studying the Bible and, and yet, because of my foolishness and my sin and my disobedience, this became a relationship in which there was sexual sin. Part of the reason why this is a powerful story to share is almost everybody you're going to talk to, especially if they haven't grown up in the church, but even if they have, has a story of sexual sin. It's just just the fact of our brokenness. So, so when, when I'm able to share, yeah, I, I have sexual sin in my past, and part of my story is, and what I tell people is, and I know a lot of people have, 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 you know, have sexual sin, but I was studying the Bible. I was planning to do ministry. And so for me, um, I realized later just the complete hypocrisy and the double life. And so when, when I realized what I had done, I was so broken. I felt really ashamed. Um, and, and, I, and I won't tell you the whole story now, but it, it involved a prophetic image that somebody gave to me of, of God restoring my heart. And um, it, as I tell it, what it did for me is, is it helped me receive the forgiveness of sins. And so my testimony is that the greatest healing I've ever received was actually not a physical healing, but a spiritual healing of the forgiveness of sins. And I realized that day that even I could be forgiven of my sins, and even God could restore me. And so I have a, a five-minute version of that story. I have, I have a 60-minute second version of that story, just one minute. I have a, like a 20-minute version of that story, and I, I could tell... I could tell it like that if I needed to. So back to my neighbor Katie, she was sharing about her her fall. I I can't remember what it was, but she was starting to she was saying things like, I started wondering like, you know, where would I go if I didn't wake up from the surgery, or or how how does God think about me? And and I could detect I could tell there's some shame here. and, and so then I, I just shared my story. I did the 62nd version of I, I'd sinned really bad. Um, I thought God will never forgive me. He showed me that he actually would forgive me. And as soon as I said that, then she says, okay, if you want to know the truth, I was so intoxicated. I, I didn't know where I was, and that's why I had my accident. That's when she shared, because I had shared. So sharing your story, of what Jesus has done for you, how you've known his mercy. But the second part to sharing the story is being ready to share the story of Jesus. And so now this goes back to how we started today. What is the gospel? Well, it's the story of Jesus? Acts 10. Jesus, he is Lord of all. He's God. He came to this earth and he went around doing good. He set people free from the devil. He set people free from physical illnesses too. He died on the cross to forgive the sins of the world, but then he came back to life, and now he lives forevermore, and he invites anyone who trusts and believes in him to receive the forgiveness of their sins. He he wants to take away every wrong thing you've ever done, and he also wants you to live forever with him. That's sharing the story of Jesus, and that also is important. At some point, you want to get to that, right? Uh, What's helpful about bless is that is it shows us that there are many ways of actually sharing the gospel, of sharing the good news. Uh, But we do want to be careful, and and this is where I personally feel most challenged, is we still want to look for the opportunity to to still, though, bring somebody to that point where they're hearing the story of Jesus and being invited into it. And to know, I can receive forgiveness of sins. I can have eternal life. And to say, would you like to receive that right now? I I could pray for you right now. So that's bless, um, a really helpful paradigm to to show the manifold ways that we can share the good news of Jesus. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve or be served and share your story or share the story of Jesus. Um, Last thing I'll say. as I've shared, yeah, I, I have some insecurity around mission and evangelism, but more and more I'm shifting to just a, a desire to go for it and just be, just to grow in this area. And so one, one thing that I just pray is the story from Luke 5 of the catch of fish, the miraculous catch of fish, where Peter says, Lord, we've toiled all night and we haven't caught a single fish. Um, but at your word, I'll let down my nets again. And there's a way in which for us to begin to see a harvest, there's a part of me that feels like saying, Jesus, you said the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. And, and if I'm honest, Jesus, I don't see the ripe harvest. Um, forgive me for that, or help me to see it, or, or show us. Because, Lord, we've toiled all night, and we're not catching many fish. We're not seeing a lot of conversions here and, and actually there's there's not a ton of churches around that are some some that are so I want to believe you that the harvest is right but Lord we've been toiling all night we haven't caught any fish and so my prayer is Jesus give the command to let our nets down on the other side of the boat command the miraculous catch of fish in some way behind all of this and around all of this there is the supernatural work of God and of the Spirit bringing people back to himself that we can only ask him to do. Give the command. Because until you give the command, we'll be toiling all night and we're not going to catch a lot of fish. So give the command. Be at work. And we're crying out for a harvest. We're crying out for a reawakening. We're crying out for what the disciples saw. We're crying out for what Francis and his followers saw in the reawakening of Christendom. We're saying, yeah, this is the culture that we're in. It needs a reawakening. But until you give the word and tell us to let down our nets on the other side, we know that it's not in our power to do this. So give the command to let down our nets on the other side. And, and, and let's pray for a harvest. Let's pray for a harvest of souls. Uh, all right. What I want us to do for, for our mission today... Um, is we'll break up into pairs um, or or us three, or maybe we'll go see. I think Kevin is around. Maybe Kevin will want to join us and then and then our guys, we can each have a we can two two pairs of two. Um, because of COVID, last time we did this, uh, I gave us a sheet and we went out and I said, you know, take an hour to go to some location um, and, and try to have a conversation with somebody even just one person, and then come back, and we'll, we'll debrief. Um, just because of COVID, I'm not exactly sure what that'll look like. So what I want us to do is at least go out and do a prayer walk. We'll start with that. Um, and just for the sake of time, we'll keep it more on the like half-hour side of things. But I would like for us to um, to be outside, because then I think you, you could still bump into somebody and Who knows what God wants to do even today? Um, You you might be able to pray for somebody, and they might be more open to to you um, praying with them and being in close quarters uh, if if you're outdoors. Um, So with prayer walking, or also just when you're beginning to pray for your neighbors, one template that's really helpful that I, I love is the Lord's Prayer. And as you're thinking about how do I pray, for, how do I even begin to pray for somebody, the Lord's Prayer is endless in in how it can generate prayers. You just go through a phrase at a time. Um, you know, praying for a person or praying for your neighborhood. Um, so as you go out and you pray, walk, um, be thinking through, and just with your partner. Um, Hallowed be Thy name, or right, let's pray for the ha- hallowing of God's name in this community. That the holiness of God's name and the worship of the true God um, would be at the heart and center of this community or this street that we're praying for. Um, let Your kingdom come. We've talked about what does it look like when the kingdom comes. We'll start praying for those things, those kinds of things. Um, your will be done. So on and so forth. And then it does, yeah, really interesting when you start praying for deliverance from evil oh yeah, we're in a spiritual battle. How do we pray that this community would be delivered from, from the evil one, right? Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power, he went around doing good and setting people free who were oppressed by the devil. That's part of the good news. And he told us to pray about it with the Lord's Prayer. So you just work through the template of the Lord's Prayer um, as you pray for a community, as you maybe walk on a street. So again, for the sake of time, let's keep it close. Um you know, maybe just yeah, somewhere within a five or ten-minute drive. If you live within five to ten minutes, maybe you want to say to your partner, "Hey, let's just let's go prayer walk in my neighborhood." Um, great, then you get experience doing something that you can do often, right? Maybe you do a weekly prayer walk through your neighborhood. Um, personally, I wanna I wanna go just downtown Wheaton and just pray for the city of Wheaton and for DuPage County from you know, just like a corner downtown and then just see who the Lord brings. If there may be somebody you can pray for, awesome. Um, If not, uh, given today and all that we're going, uh, that COVID we've got on us restriction-wise, I'm not saying come back, you know, with with a story of at least one person. Um, I do have this helpful handout that we used last time of different places that you and your partner could go, of like COD, which is probably about ten minutes away, but other, you know, gathering places. Um, so you and your partner can kind of talk through wh- where do we want to go. Um, are you guys okay if we, if we give ourselves half an hour to do this, but then come back and have even just five or ten minutes to debrief? Because I'd love to just hear from you how it went, and if there were any stories. Okay, so let's do this. Um, let's just pray for our time, and then break up into your partners. We'll just, how about Addie and Christy, and Julia and Christy, and Julia, sorry, and Christy, and then us three guys. Let's begin with prayers of thanksgiving and just offer up one sentence prayers of thanksgiving for what God has done for you, who He is.